This is the Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 47, Understanding Pain with Betsy Jensen and your host, Leah Davidson. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to be here and share with you an interview that I had with Betsy Jensen. I'm particularly interested in this area that Betsy also works in because it's an area that I've been diving deeper into, um, trying to learn more to help the clients that I work with. So just a little bit about Betsy. She's a body and mind life coach, and she helps people connect with their bodies and heal their chronic pain. She teaches neuroscience principles and current research on chronic pain. She uses proven strategies to calm the nervous system and rewire the brain to produce less pain. You can listen to her podcast, Unstoppable Body and Mind, to find out more about her somatic approach. She was a physical therapist for 20 years before ulcerative colitis led her to the new neuroscience of pain and mind-body healing. She has four teenagers, three boys and a girl, and enjoys traveling and being outdoors. So please welcome Betsy, and I hope Hope you enjoy the interview. I am so excited to have a special guest for you today. It is Betsy Jensen. Betsy is going to share with us some information all about pain. So Betsy, why don't you take a few seconds to just introduce yourself and tell our listeners about what you do. All right. Well, right now I'm a body and mind life coach. I integrate the sensations from the body, teach people about pain and a new view of pain based on neuroscience. I was a physical therapist for 20 years and then I came down with, came down with, I developed ulcerative colitis, which my friend actually was doing a lot of research and told me was psychosomatic. So I started reading John Sarno's book where they talk about how the mind and body is connected and that the thoughts that you have can influence changes in your body. And this is really evident with the latest research they've been doing over the last 20 years as they've actually been watching the brain and can do functional MRIs of the brain when it's in pain. And they've started to see that people who have chronic pain, their brains function differently than when it's acute pain. When it's a new acute pain, as in you sprain your ankle or something, usually after a few days, that starts going away. It's healing. But when it gets to be three, six months, usually tissue has healed by then, but the pain signals can still continue from the brain. And that's that neuroplastic pain, neural pathway pain, neurogenic pain, TMS, mind-body syndrome. It has a lot of names. It's really still kind of new. Like you might not have even heard of it from your doctors and people are calling it all different things. But there is this way of looking at pain that involves pain at its source, which is the brain, and rewiring the pain signals from there. So I'm helping people, instead of the physical therapy approach, I'm not stretching people, I'm not telling them any exercises to do, but they're getting out of chronic pain just by meeting on Zoom, reframing their pain, practicing ways to feel their pain and reframe it differently. And they're able to rewire their brain so that that danger signal is not there. 
I love that. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because I know that you do have the background in physical therapy. And like most of the listeners know, I have a background in speech language pathology, and I've worked in the area of traumatic brain injury. So we're often working with teams and on the team is physical therapists. And there's a lot of talk because there's a lot of pain and people struggle with pain. And it's become a big interest of mine as well. I personally had also, I had irritable bowel syndrome years ago. And that is also one of the psychosomatic, which at the time when I was told that in my mind, it meant it's all in my head. And I've talked about this on the podcast before that it is kind of all in my head, but not in the way I was interpreting it. I was interpreting people saying it's all in my head as in I was making it up. It wasn't real as opposed to it was very, very real, but yes. it was stemming from things that was happening in my brain. Yes. So I wanted to bring you on so that we can talk more about what that actually looks like. And you threw around a whole bunch of words. And I love that the neuroplastic pain and neurogenic pain and really talk about that. But what is pain? Because oh, I've had yeah. conversations with people before and they talk about, well, I have pain in a certain area of my body. Well, the pain is in my back or in the pain is in my knee. So what is actually pain? Yeah, it's so interesting because we think that we are feeling pain in the area that we have the pain that we feel. But even if we have an injury, like a cut on our finger, we're actually sensing and producing the pain signals in the brain. So the sensory organs relay the information to the spinal cord and the spinal cord does not produce pain. It's not until the signals get to the brain and the brain interprets what's going on that we feel pain or not. So we're not actually feeling the pain in the location where we feel the pain. Right. All pain is produced in the brain. All pain. That's crazy. Yeah. To even say all pain is all in your head, like that doesn't even make sense. I always say it's like the opposite side of the same coin. You're still saying there's a division. My point is it's not all in your body. It's not all in your head. Neither of those make sense. Your head is just another appendage, like your arms and legs. And your brain is just another organ, like your heart and your liver. They all work together. That's fascinating. Okay. So pain is just what you're feeling in your brain. Yes. And and pain is a danger signal. So if you think of spraining your ankle, pain signals you to discontinue walking on that ankle, to stop, to rest it, to elevate it, to let it heal. But what we know from the persistent pain, pain that lasts chronically, is that it's kind of like the pain gets stuck on the danger signal on switch. And so people start to get hypersensitized to pain. And so more things cause them pain. They've even found that noxious sounds, so like an annoying sound, someone scraping nails on a chalkboard, the brain of a hypersensitized person to pain reacts just to that noise in a tensed up way, in a danger signal way. So we know that as the danger signal goes on and on and we're not interpreting it correctly, and we actually know there are some things that amplify that danger signal, we can get stuck in this pain pattern after the tissue is healed. Mm. So at what point does it become acute? Because there's acute pain where it's actually structural or organic. At what point does it cross over to become chronic pain where it is just the patterns in the brain? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really not cut and dry because there are people I would call hypersensitized to pain. You know, your nervous system has just been responding to these danger signals 
whether from high emotions or from actual pain themselves over the years. And so you're a little more on guard and hypersensitized for those things. And sometimes you can even have a new pain that is neuroplastic. So it gets a little tricky to tell. But rule of thumb, if something's coming up during a stressful time, during a time where there was no injury, and you're this type of person that tends to have chronic pain, and when we do an assessment, we go through your life as a child, and and most people have stomach issues or tonsillitis. I know I had my tonsils out and stomach aches when I was going to middle school. And when you see those patterns and then you get a new acute pain, that's where it gets really interesting. But in general, tissues heal within three to six months. One thing to clarify, sometimes people say, well, I have a disc bulge. My doctor has told me I have a bulging disc. It's impinging on the nerve. That's where my pain is coming from. But what is fascinating is there's so much research on healthy people who have no back pain. And what they found is that by the age of 40, 50% of us have a disc bulge, even pain-free people. These are pain-free people. So it's like we've always been looking at pain and looking in the area with a microscope and an MRI to see what the structures are. Now that we started doing MRIs on healthy people too, for research, we see that degenerative changes are normal. So if it's been longer than three to six months and you've tried all the other treatments, it's resistant to every treatment you've tried and it persists and maybe even gets worse, that's a sign that that's the neuroplastic pain, that these are neural pathways. And the more you feed it with fear, this is where the emotion part gets in, it actually shows that your brain, as we know, as you focus on something, you create more of it in your brain. The neural pathways wire and fire together. More of your brain is preoccupied with producing that and looking for it and being on guard for it. And with pain, it's just the same. So when people are hyper-focused on their pain, which of course people are, it's pain. Mm -hmm. And then it combines with a lot of high emotions like fear. They know that actually amplifies this neuroplastic pain. So then when we're looking at what makes pain worse, It's going to be things like the emotions, how we think of it, how we're framing it, that is going to be amplifying our pain. Yes. There are a couple easy ways to think about it. Structurally, when you know about the brain and where pain is produced and amplified, the area of fight or flight, the amygdala, the stress response, that area, that's the same area that's responsible for the amplification of pain, for the modulation of pain, turning it up or down. So it's very easy for the nerve fibers to get crossed or for mistakes to happen or for your body to interpret a very stressful emotion as a danger and produce that pain signal. And you feel pain in your neck or your back or your knee. Mm -hmm. So yes, high emotions, because they share overlapping neural circuits with pain, high emotions can trigger that neural pathway response. Crazy, right? It's fascinating that our brain has so much influence over what is going on with our pain. Right. It's so important to know that because what we're doing is kind of the opposite. We're perpetuating more fear by telling people this disc bulge is causing your pain and you can't do these things and your life will never be the same. And, you know, you better learn how to just deal with it. Like this is stuff that perpetuates people's pain and stress. Stress is the other big thing that amplifies your pain. If you think of the stress response, you know, again, we're talking about the amygdala. You think about the cortisol that's released. Well, we know that chronic cortisol 
being in the body chronically actually produces systemic inflammation. So all of these people trying to control their inflammation by just their diet alone, they could actually be stressing themselves out for one thing, producing more cortisol. And we know that that's not the only factor. If they lead a stressful life, they could be causing their own inflammation. What we know about people with chronic pain too, is that we tend to put a lot of stress on ourselves. So even at times when life could be considered pretty good, we have a hard time seeing and relaxing into the goodness of it. And we're putting pressure on ourselves to achieve more and to do it faster and to stay busy. And so it's very easy to see how people can get in a pain, fear, pain cycle where pain causes more fear, which causes more pain. Mm -hmm. I find it so interesting too, that when we talk about stress and we've talked a lot about stress on this podcast is we will very quickly link stress to certain things. Like I was given the example of years ago, my husband had a heart attack and he was under a very, very high stress time. And so it kind of made sense to me that he had this heart attack because we all know that stress will lead to heart attacks. Right. And then we know that when we're feeling stressed, like think of even kids going before an exam, there's some anxiety and there may be a stomach ache or, you know, I've had clients describe it as to get the stress poops and we see, oh yeah, stress affects my body. But then we start talking about, well, did you know that stress is also related to immune system problems and digestive disorders and chronic pain? Everybody's like, oh no, 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 no. This is real in the body. It's real. Yes. We have such that structural view and people, I don't know how many times I get the argument if they're like, but no, it's not from my thoughts. It's not from my emotions because it's when I do this certain movement. And so there's this element of, yes, it can be aggravated with high emotions, especially fear, frustration, anger, grief. But the other element of it is that our brain remembers patterns very well. It remembers patterns of movement. And especially if your doctor or physical therapist has reinforced it, or if you've just done it two or three times and your brain has noticed it every time, I think of it as your brain sending these pain signals like, oh, I know it's going to move this way. That might be dangerous. It might hurt. It sends the pain signal to prevent you from moving as much. So it's just this efficiency of the brain, this subconscious habit of the brain. You know, I saw this in physical therapy where someone, they might have healed their ankle. They had full range of motion, full strength, but they still walked with a limp. I was about to say, is that when you see like they're favoring it because there's the fear of it could hurt if I do this? Yes. And then those pathways, that muscle memory, your brain is so efficient. Our brain is working for us, but we just interpret the pain signals as damage. And that is the very primitive view of it. It's the antiquated view. I mean, it's not that old. I learned it 20 years ago at Duke. You know, I went to a great school, but they just teach it differently now, even to current physical therapy students, because we know so much more now that we can see the brain and and how it reacts differently and how these structural changes just don't cause pain in most people. The other thing that's so interesting is that people who are hypersensitized to pain, often they've seen that in their life. They've seen a parent or loved one grow up with chronic pain. They measure it by how much you catastrophize. If you tend to catastrophize your pain, high catastrophizers almost always have someone in the family that has also dealt with pain. So they grow up with this very fearful view of pain where they're highly monitoring their body. They're hypervigilant about any sensations. They do stress about the 
those sensations when they have them. And that can actually correlate with acute pain turning chronic. The more you're catastrophizing, the more likely your acute pain that should heal on its own won't heal. Those pain signals will stay. They can even predict that people before they go to surgery, if they're high catastrophizers, will have a longer recovery and have more complications. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can imagine. That is crazy. So what do you classify pain catastrophizers? What are some of the things that you would hear a pain catastrophizer? I know we've talked about, we did an episode back where we talked about the cognitive thinking traps. Catastrophizing is one of them. And I joked that it's like a favorite one in my family that we have kids not catastrophizing about pain, but certainly catastrophizing about like, I didn't do well on this and therefore I'm going to. But what does it look like when you're a pain catastrophizer? Yeah, it's so interesting because they have a pain catastrophizing scale and it's just 13 questions or statements. And you rate how much you think these from zero to four when you have pain. Like, do you think it a lot or do you not think it very much? They've classified catastrophizing into three categories. So rumination, thinking about it a lot. So ruminative thoughts would sound like, I anxiously want the pain to go away. I can't seem to keep it out of my mind. I keep thinking about how much the pain hurts. I keep thinking about how badly I want the pain to stop. Pretty normal things you would say if you're in pain, right? Like no one tells you that these things actually increase your pain. Right, that's perpetuating the problem yeah. by going over and over. Yeah. And then magnification, I'm afraid the pain may get worse. I think of other painful experiences. I wonder whether something serious may happen. Also, common thoughts that a normal person would think. These aren't things that you would think like, oh, I would never think that. I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, they seem pretty normal to me if you have pain. Not someone trying to get attention, not someone faking it. These are normal things when you have pain, but it's so good to know these will increase your pain if this is how you're thinking regularly. The last category is helplessness. So I worry all the time about whether the pain will end. I feel I can't go on. It's terrible. I think it's never going to get better. It's awful. I feel it overwhelms me. I can't stand it anymore. There's nothing I can do to reduce the intensity of the pain. Yeah. Again, thoughts that I think a lot of people who suffer from pain will have. Yes. So the more you have these thoughts, the more likely you are to have increased amount of pain just because of these thoughts. Yes, they correlate it and they can predict. And it has to do with that focus of the brain and that hypersensitivity and hypervigilance towards pain. And it's this way of looking at pain through this lens of fear. And so what I teach people to do is to address their pain through a lens of safety. And so somatic tracking, you might have even Mm -hmm. talked about that here, Mm -hmm. but just going into the body sensations with neutrality and with curiosity and mm, it feels like, you know, there's a tightness and it feels pulling like a rubber band, you know, versus I can't stand the pain. There's nothing I can do. They can both be true. But the more you have the same pain signal, but with a neutral or curious response, it teaches your brain that it doesn't need to focus on it. It doesn't need to obsess, be hypervigilant about it. There's that relaxation. And so it's retraining the brain that this is okay, this is neutral. And then we add positive things too. So not only not focusing on the pain, but adding joyful things. Maybe for some people, they can't quite move without pain to celebrate that, but they could imagine themselves moving with 
without pain and they create joy with that. And they have this imaginary experience and it's just like reps with rewiring your brain. You know, the more you think about it and just have that joy about you moving without pain, your brain actually shifts to producing less and less pain. That's fascinating. Now, I know that one thing that I can see people who are struggling with chronic pain is, so you're saying that I'm to blame for this, that if I just change my thoughts and that brings it back to, you're saying it's all in my head. I know that that's probably a standard. What would your response be if somebody said, okay, so it's my fault then, like, fine, I have pain and now I'm the one who's making it worse with my thoughts about my pain. Totally. I think it's just like with coaching. I see it with general coaching too, where you tell someone, you know, your problem with your ex is really, you know, how you're thinking about it. And then they're like, well, I'm all to blame. And you can use these tools against yourself and you can use them to blame yourself more. And you can be mad about it and all of these things and also see that this is a a way out. This holds your freedom. And that although, you know, it is easy, especially if you have a personality type of someone who has chronic pain, you probably do beat yourself up a lot. That's kind of part of the perfectionistic tendency that a lot of people have, the high achievers. We want to be perfect at things. In fact, I did want to mention as you're practicing being so gentle with yourself, when you find yourself catastrophizing, not expecting perfection, as you're rewiring your brain, it's like little baby steps, tiny little changes, celebrating the little change. Ah, this time I was able to calm my mind. This time I was able to go inside and be mindful and be present rather than going to the future of an imaginary thing and catastrophizing and celebrating those small baby steps. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people just have to be in the right place to hear this message. And sometimes no matter how you try to rephrase it, they still hear that it's all in their head and it's their fault. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention that's not what we're saying. I always say to people though, it, it is sort of like you can hang on to your belief but you can also try this one. So yes. you know, just be open to the idea that there is another way that you can try. And, you know, some of the things we talked about, trying to rewire differently by giving ourselves some kindness and compassion, by focusing on those things instead of all the things that will catastrophize the pain. But it's not all in your head in the sense like you're making it up and you have control about it. I love what you said about different personalities have a more more tendency of leaning towards chronic pain, the ones that are the high achievers and the ones that are perfectionistic tendencies. Yeah. And I try to reframe it for people like those things are not bad. It's not bad to be a people pleaser and be a kind person. It only is if you're doing it at your own expense and it's this pattern that you've been doing for years and it's affecting your body. And that's the beauty of this work is that as you tune into your body, you start to notice when you're doing those types of things, when you're putting pressure on yourself, when you're saying yes, when you want to say no, and your body tells you. And so you have this way of aligning yourself, tuning in with yourself and preventing the pain from getting worse. But seeing the pain is also this internal signal barometer system for you of, hey, you're stressing about this, or you're maybe being too hard on yourself here. Let's have a little more compassion. 
Yeah. Yeah. Self-compassion can go a long way. I think it's something that is becoming more talked about now. I don't think we realize the importance of it. We sort of think like, well, if I push myself and if I'm mean to myself, I make myself more accountable. But more and more, we're finding that actually that route is leading to a lot more chronic disease, chronic pain, anxiety, depression, all those things that we tend to think they're out of our control. It's part of the body. It's just the way it works. But when we understand that the mind and the body are one, we start to see, oh, actually, it does make a difference how I treat myself. So part of my healing is being self-compassionate and is being really kind to myself. So what are some other things that can help make pain better? We sort of touched it and let's try to zero in. If somebody was listening, there are like three things that you can do. You're suffering with chronic pain. You don't know where to start. You want to get better. And that's the other thing I want to say. Very rarely do I meet somebody who's like deliberately wants to stay in pain. Like they are doing everything they possibly can. They're, you know, religiously doing the exercise routines and they're seeing physio and they're meeting with their doctors and they're taking medication and getting surgeries and nothing is working. So what are some things that they can start to try to Mm -hmm. see if we can shift some of their pain? Well, I would recommend just starting with a very simple book called The Way Out by Alan Gordon. It was just released about a month ago, but it has a lot of scientific data and research explaining all of the neuroscience in a very easy to read witty, fun to read way. So that is, it's just good to educate yourself about the possibilities that are out there. Like you said, I love that. This doesn't have to be like, no one's telling you, you have to do this. If you're drawn to this, and if you've been trying all the other things, I would suggest that book, the somatic tracking. I do have an episode that's a meditation on my podcast Mm -hmm. of somatic tracking that you can take 15 minutes and actually go into the body in a lead voice Mm -hmm. way. And you're providing that neutral sensation for your brain while you're feeling the sensation that you normally freak out about, right? So you're Mm -hmm. retraining your brain. Once you've experienced that, you could even do little tiny bits of somatic tracking. Basically, I think of it as, you know, instead of tuning out or being in your head, just tuning right into that shoulder or right into that back. Now, for some people, that's too intense. Mm -hmm. So the third thing that I would offer is instead of focusing on the area that brings you a lot of pain and suffering, Mm -hmm. focus on something that feels good to you or neutral. So it could be an area where you feel the most flow in your body, where it feels like there's not resistance, where you could just think of your right eyebrow or your earlobe or something like your fingernail, something that you don't really think about, but put your intent of your mind there. And by doing that, again, you're rewiring that danger signal of your brain to teach it. This is okay. We can do this. And so it's just this matter of little bits of time, rinse and repeat, and continuing to reteach your brain that these things are safe because fear is what perpetuates it. Mm-hmm. So really, the more you can educate yourself and surround yourself maybe with other people that are talking about this, or there's a lot of resources, obviously my podcast, I talk about it constantly. I'm up to 80 episodes. You can binge listen. There's like, you know, Dr. Schubiner has a book. There's just 
There's so DM many. me. I'll give you lots of resources. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm I know that uh, I'm doing the course oh, yes. with Dr. Schubiner coming up. Yes, that's true. Week. You're going to be yeah. a great resource too for I'm people. I'm so excited. But I love what you were saying about educate yourself, surround yourself with people because it's almost like you're priming the brain and yes. you want to give the brain a heads up of we're about to go into new territory here. This is mm-hmm. things like we've never explored before. I know maybe you're going to freak out because you're going to think it's not possible that this can be impacting my pain. But I love that you said, yes, start educating yourself. Start talking to people. Go listen to your podcast and we'll make sure we put the link. It's called Unstoppable Body and Mind. It's an amazing resource all about pain. And it does. It familiarizes your brain so that it starts to be open, that it's possible that maybe some of these things could help me. So I love that that was sort of your first suggestion before jumping right into doing some exercises, which may be too intense to people. Just like, let the brain know, we're going to do something different right now. We're going to explore an area that maybe we don't have much information about. So I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't have to be a forceful process. That's the exact opposite of what you want. If you're seeing your pain as this problem that this is another thing to try to fix, it has this urgency about it. There's this desperate quality. And so it's this ironic thing, just like we see with other areas of coaching when people desperately want change, but you know don't have it yet. But again, it's the decreasing the intensity of the fear around pain and then supplementing with more joyful things, building this case against it. So basically like if someone gets pain with sitting for five minutes usually, and they notice that they sat for 30 minutes, usually our brain will forget that very quickly. But if you make a point, you write it down or you celebrate it and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I thought my back hurt after five minutes of sitting and this time it didn't. And you keep compiling that evidence, then your brain, it just extinguishes all of that pain that it was creating. I love that building up the positives. And that's a common thing that we work about with people too, is you don't necessarily have to let go of the negative thoughts or let go of those negative beliefs, or it's just more important to shift and start building up the other side. So you don't have to let go of the pain. The pain is going to be there. But when you shift to find some of the joy and some of the positive and where doesn't it hurt? Although I know sometimes people say, well, it hurts everywhere, but trying to find where is there a moment? in time where you feel more positive and then building on that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it was awesome having you here. Can you tell us where can we find you? And I know that you work one-on-one with people, you work in groups. So there's lots of ways people can find you and use you as a resource. So let them know where. Absolutely. So my website is Body and Mind Life Coach. Instagram is Body and Mind Life Coach. And then Facebook is Betsy Body and Mind Life Coach. But if you look up Body and Mind Life Coach, you'll find me. YouTube is the same, Body and Mind Life Coach. And then my podcast as we talked about unstoppable body and mind awesome well thank you so much i know that you have so many resources to offer people and uh, would be happy to talk to anybody and have anybody reach out so thanks for being here today my pleasure thank you Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.